Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian and Anthony McDaniels bringing you another episode of the Wacky World of Energy. We've got some better lighting today. It doesn't seem like I'm just sitting in a dark dungeon, but hey, recording from home, recording from the office, wherever it is, we want to get you the good content. And I think we got a few doozies of a story this week. Anthony, how you feeling? Oh man, just another wacky world, man. I tell you one thing, I just can't get over this stuff uh -uh. <laughs> every freaking week, you know, and it's, it's really, if it wasn't so potentially damaging, it would just be purely hysterical. Um, oh, that's the thing. Without the implications, it's funny. It's a soap opera, but unfortunately we live in this world. <laughs> yeah. So let's just start it off with something. This is a real good one here on oil price article. On June 28th, 2022, the day of our recording this week. <laughs> Big surprise. I mean, for us at Rare Petro, this wasn't a surprise. We we called this last year internally, to be honest with everybody. Um, but now the data is out. World energy demand jumped above pre-COVID levels in 2021. What? Yeah. People still like oil? Yeah. Oh, I guess. Whether they <laughs> like it or not, they still freaking need to use it. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So a couple bullet points here. Um, BP Statistical Review of World Energy. Primary energy grew in 21, 2021 by its largest amount in history. Now, I mean, that was based off of comparing to 2020. So, okay. Uh, but obviously a big demand re rebound we, we we kind of expected a big demand rebound i think a lot of people did but um the thing that is maybe more surprising is that the level of fossil fuel energy consumption remain unchanged between 2019 and 2021 unchanged unchanged that, that's surprising because i mean it was so cheap i imagine well i shouldn't imagine we saw china buy up a ton of the stuff people were putting it wherever they could but i'm actually surprised it's unchanged i thought if anything more so yeah we have um going into the article a little bit here global primary energy jumped by 5.8 percent last year and exceeded pre-pandemic levels of 2019 by 1.3 bp said in its annual statistical review of world energy 2022 on tuesday so primary energy in 2021 grew by its largest amount in history with emerging economies accounting for most of the increase um yeah, so this isn't that big of an article. I'm still not going to go every line here. Uh, we'll go kind of down towards the bottom now. In many ways, this sharp rebound in energy demand is a sign of global success driven by a rapid recovery in economic activity as the widespread distribution of effective vaccines allowed for an easing in COVID restrictions in many parts of the world and a return to our everyday lives, BP's chief economist said. Yeah. Or maybe people just weren't as afraid after the first couple of months of 2020, but we'll leave that to another day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's that, and then there's the conversation. I mean, the key word here is global, right? The United mm -hmm. States, we love to talk about our energy goals. Europe, they love to talk about our, their energy goals. You think people in South America don't want air conditioning? You think people in Sudan don't want a fridge to keep their food, food safe and to stop using dung to cook, it's going to grow. We leave a lot of the world out of this conversation. But I mean, look at India. They're buying up all the crude they can because they know that increased consumption is going to benefit them. So got to keep the global scope in mind. It's not just developed countries. They also want to highlight, you know, that uh, the pronounced dip in carbon emissions in 2020 
was only temporary. <laughs> yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Carbon equivalent emissions from energy, including methane, industrial processes, and flaring increased by 5.7% last year. I mean, you stop firing hydrocarbons, you get less emissions. You start firing hydrocarbons, you get more emissions. That's mm -hmm. going to be how that metric goes. Yeah, and again, the level of fossil fuel energy consumed globally remained unchanged between 2019 and 2021. I thought unchanged. this was the end of fossil fuels. I thought this was the opportunity to continue the transition. What's well, going on the end here? Of, right now, it seems to be the end of growth and investment in fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. But if the demand isn't dropping, man, let me tell you something. Supply goes off, even with the drop in demand. If supply drops more than demand, prices will go up. Hmm. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. It's not that complicated. And right now, it's hard to see globally how a bunch of extra supply comes online, especially in the next year or two. Yeah. I mean, there's just been so much lack of investment globally. Um, everybody also, and I, I'm just going to point this out to to our listeners as well. This is something that I think about fairly frequently. Everybody talks about the oil production from countries and globally as if, as if what's online is some static fixed number. <laughs> no, it's not. Every well on production declines, mm -hmm. everybody. Now, you think for everybody in our audience, and maybe even those who aren't in the oil industry, when you bring a well online, Every barrel you take out is a barrel that you took out. So there's a decline in how much production that that well or that field can do after every day you produce more. Okay. Now in the industry, a fairly shallow decline. In other words, it doesn't decline a lot. It can stays in pretty stable. So let's say you lose 5% a year. That's not a lot. That's pretty no. shallow. Yeah. That's... The shale wells, they can do 40, 50% in the first year. Mm -hmm. decline loss mm -hmm. of production capability but let's just say that for as far as the industry is concerned if you, if you had a well that made 100 barrels a day on average last year and it only declined this is just keeping it real simple for everybody i don't want to get all reservoir nerdy or anything, okay <laughs> um i can but that's not what this show is for if you had a well that made 100 barrels a day on average last year and it declined five percent year over year then it would be 95 barrels a day on average this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the basic idea. If the planet had base production capability in 2019 of a hundred million barrels a day, just for easy math, all of the wells that were online two years ago could have easily as a global cohort dropped five to 7 million barrels a day. Oh yeah, without a Each doubt. Each year, the yeah. last two years. So it's not, you can't just- Turn on the it's taps, not, like it's not people a fixed say. <laughs> thing, everybody. Like you, you have to have a certain level of investment just to keep global production flat. Mm -hmm. Not okay? even growing, just flat. Not even growing, just flat. And, and, and right now, if you look at rig charts, you look at all these things, macro, fundamental, I don't even know if in the last two years there's been enough activity to keep global production flat. I think it's been a lot of spare capacity that's been brought online to bridge the gap. Yeah, and even if it's close to being flat, it came at the cost of our duck count. I mean, that's yes. something we put out pretty regularly through a newsletter we do with Rainmaker, but just go to EIA.com, look up that duck count. I'll throw it on the screen right here very quickly. Those have plummeted because it's hard and, to get you know, new steel. 
for everybody, duck is a drilled and uncompleted well. Mm-hmm. So the pad's built, the well's drilled, it's cased, everything. The only thing you got left to do at that point, shoot some holes, pump a frack, bring it online. I right. mean, there's more to it in detail, but again, <laughs> this is a high level. So those are fairly quick turnaround to get extra barrels on the, on the system. We have this data set going back to 2013, December 2013 from the EIA. Anybody can look at it. And when they started the data set, that count through all of the shale wells, all these wells that were drilled, not fracked, not online, um, it was around 4,400 wells. And that was the lowest number, national count, until the last couple of months. During COVID, this number mushroomed up to 9,000 some wells. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so basically in the last 18 months, we've brought on nearly five thousand wells that were already drilled they were just sitting there waiting to be fracked and put online mm-hmm. okay and now what's left is probably not the best stuff right yeah. so so that's part of excess capacity that the united states had in the wings and then you had countries like saudi arabia that maybe they had some certain parts of their fields that were shut in or pinched back they had spare capacity like they could let's say a hurricane season comes in right knocks out some production in the gulf of mexico there's spare capacity <clears throat> certain wells certain fields certain countries have spare capacity of some design they've had them for years that spare capacity is largely used up right now just to keep the global oil flowing. And so the fact that energy demand jumped in 2021 to a level higher than pre-COVID and that fossil fuel demand in 2021 is exactly what it was in 2019. I'm telling you, everybody, we lost refining capacity. Mm-hmm. The wells that were online, the fields that were online doing just fine in 2019, they declined. Okay. And there's just not enough investment going in. So, you know, we have this whole thing kind of ginning up and, you know, I mean, we might as well just go back to uh, our normal situation here where we go from talking about what's going on in the world around all this. Um, so what do we have next? We have Russia defaulting on their... Uh, Why don't you talk about that, Tavis? Sure thing. We've got another article from Oil Price. This one was released on the 27th, so Monday of the week this podcast is being released, where Russia defaults on foreign debt for the first time in 104 years. Here's the bullet points at the top. Russia has just defaulted on foreign debt obligations for the first time in over a century. It hasn't happened since 1918. Putin's invasion of Ukraine has sparked retaliation in the form of economic sanctions weighing on Russia's ability to pay foreign investors. The efficacy of Western sanctions hitting the Russian economy has been watered down as Europe continues to buy Russian energy. And Anthony, (laughs) this is much more your wheelhouse than mine. But from a very layman's perspective, it sure seems that the sanctions they put up really ended up coming back and shooting themselves in the foot because now Russia says, hey, I can't can't get you your money. I want to do it in rubles. You refuse to do that. seems like a big barrier to, I don't know, operation in Europe. Yeah, it's basically, so the sanctions again for everybody, the sanctions in a nutshell are basically the NATO countries, the European Union, United States mainly, um, saying, we don't like what you're doing, Russia. We're going to sanction you. Yep. By sanctioning you, that means we're not going to give you access to the euro and US dollar system. 
Now, we will pay you in euros and US dollars, but you can't access those bank accounts because you're sanctioned. You can't access those funds. You're sanctioned mm-hmm. um, until you stop doing what we don't want you to do, right? And so that's where the Russian rubles pay, quote unquote, pay scheme came out is like, well, you're not paying me if you're not giving me access to this stuff. It's like, well, we're not. Yeah, we're going to sanction you. Fine. <laughs> pay me in my currency. Yeah. All right. And now they're making this big old deal that Russia defaulted. Well, of course they defaulted. That was the goal of the sanctions was to do things like this is say, oh, see, you defaulted. But see, we got to understand something, everybody. We got to understand it really good. If Russia cared about defaulting on the euro and U.S. dollar payments on the bonds, why would they have invaded to begin with? They knew the sanctions were going to come. I mean, saying, making a big old news story about, of course they defaulted. That was by design. We're sanctioning you. You're cutting you. You're cutting you out of the system, the euro and U.S. dollar system. That's the sanction. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Of course they're going to default on that. I don't think they care. Oh <laughs> no, they sure don't. They've made that clear. They could it? care less. In fact, I read that they tried to even like paying rubles and it was denied. It was like, fine, well, whatever. I tried to pay you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think they care if the default was denominated in euros and US dollars. No, of course not. And then also, it's been a minute since we've done a little bit of a, a ruble to US dollar uh, analysis. What do you think this did to the ruble? I I don't know. I haven't looked at what the ruble chart's been doing. It so went up. It went up it more. Went up? It got more valuable. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, now they're writing stories about. By the way, and this is this is this is almost comical. Now they're trying to write stories about how Russia's ruble getting too strong is going to hurt their economy. Oh yeah, okay. Because right? it's going to hurt their, you know, it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt their exports because they got to pay their labor too much money in their own current their currency. Sure, as if too strong. It's, well, when this whole thing first started out, everybody was dancing on their, you know, <laughs> Russia's economy's grave because the Russian ruble collapsed. Right. Yep. I know a few countries historically that have collapsed because of a strong currency, but I know of a lot of countries that have collapsed because of a weak currency. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to tell everybody, but that's a fact. Go ahead, look up history. I, I just, I mean, please do if you find one. A company, uh, not a company, a country in history collapsed economically because their currency was strong. <clears throat> I don't think you'll kind find of a- that. Weak but argument you will there. Find plenty, <laughs> plenty of examples of countries collapsing because their 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 currency got too weak. It collapsed. Mm-hmm. The buying power it, it bought nothing. Yep. Countries' economies collapse when their currencies collapse. Right. That's the biggest symptom. Like, okay, you're collapsing. Like your currency doesn't buy anything. So the Russian ruble getting stronger. You can write all you want about how that's going to be a headwind for their economy. Yeah, in its own way, I guess it can be. But I don't see an economy collapsing because of a strong currency, mm-hmm. right? The currency is strong because there's a demand for the currency. Why is there a demand for the currency? Oh, because what they're selling, everybody else wants or needs. And they're selling it on discount. It's not rocket surgery. You don't need a PhD from Yale in economics and all these things. Not at all. Okay? You just don't. So America's, you know, to tie up this article here on this default, America's Treasury Department blocked Russia from making payments last May, effectively sealing its fate into falling in default. Yeah, of course. 
<clears throat> earlier this year, the world's top rating agencies downgraded Russian debt along among the lowest uh, for in their debt safety ladder. The efficacy of Western sanctions hitting the Russian economy has been watered down by European countries continuing to spend money in the country in exchange for Russian <laughs> energy. Persistently high demand for Russian gas has lifted the ruble after it initially plunged against the world's leading currencies following the invasion. However, U.S. President Joe Biden, U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and other leaders of G7 countries over the weekend said they are pursuing a cap on Russian energy prices. On to the next article, Tavis. What's our title there? Another oil price article ties right into that title. Oh, sorry. It was released on the 27th, also Monday of this week. The title is G7's oil price cap for Russia. Easier said than done. The price cap on Russian crude gets major push at a G7 meeting. The United States, the UK, and more recently, the EU have all imposed bans on the imports of Russian oil and oil products. The price cap on Russian crude could end up impacting EU consumers. And this is an idea we have visited before, but it's gaining more and more traction. Uh, let's see. Find some numbers, maybe. Oh, no. It's very qualitative. <laughs> Just a bunch of political bumbo-jumbo. Well, and that's all it is at this point, because we could read this, but it comes down to countries saying you can't do this well, and then doing I, with their money paying I, for the energy anyways. I just want to point out a glaring – this is just – this is a freaking joke, man. I mean, what's the essence of what they're doing? All right, let's just pick out of the article a little bit. Or what they're proposing doing, let's say that. Mm -hmm. The G7 and all their enlightenment. Yeah. <sighs> okay. The idea of putting a price cap on Russian oil exports in order to keep the oil flowing but reduce the Kremlin's revenues from it might sound rather exotic at first glance, but the idea has been around for a few weeks now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. The an oil price cap for Russian crude was first floated during talks between U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and EU officials on finding a solution for the inflated inflation problem <laughs> while limiting Russian oil revenues. It quickly became clear that limiting Russian oil exports was not the best idea. Why? Because it didn't work? <laughs> okay. Yeah, because you didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. The United States, the UK, and more recently, the EU have all imposed bans on imports of Russian oil and oil products. But China and India have stepped up their purchases in Russian crude trades at a sharp discount to international benchmark. What? Wait a minute. The G7, we need to put a price cap on Russian oil so they can't sell it as as high a price. But we still have to keep oil flowing globally because it's really important. Yep. It's Guys, that's already happening mm -hmm. right now. What are you talking about? What, is that your way to acknowledge that Russia is selling their crude? It could be. I don't know. I mean, all of these plans I, are just so weak. What a freaking joke. You've got the paragraph closer to the bottom, which is my biggest problem with this. The idea of a price cap then assumes that most, if not all, buyers of Russian crude will sign up for it. So let's say, I don't know, I'm Poland and the G everyone else in the EU, G7, comes together and says, we have to do this. Am I really going to test Russia and say, all right, we won't pay any more because, I don't know, from what we've seen so far, Russia will probably go, okay, and stop the deliveries. Yeah. And then what's, how's the price cap going to work? 
what enough of us agree now you have to do it we said the article here it says the price cap idea also assumes that russia will continue (laughs) to sell its oil rather than halting all exports and watching how brent crude hits 200 dollars in weeks that's from the article yep and i believe it so so what what would be the price cap? We won't pay you more than what, let's say eighty dollars a barrel for your yeah. oil. Well, that's fine. India and China's paying me seventy, so I don't need to sell it to you at fifty. Mm-hmm. I've got a market already. Well, you know, we'll pay more, but you know, we're not going to pay more than you know. We we want the same price discount. Oh, you want a price discount? Okay, so then let's just watch how high the prices go. You're yeah. still going to pay over a hundred dollars a barrel, man. Unless you want to do it in their scheme, if you need it from them, look, if you need their energy, you're going to play by their rules. They obviously don't care about our rules. They said that last did, week, right? Yeah, if they did, none of this stuff would be continuing to happen. Mm-hmm. And it is. You know? And so bringing it back over here across back to the, the pond, States. Back to the States. Well, back to North America, actually. Uh, sorry, we got some oh, more to talk yeah, about. <laughs> yeah, so I see this article. Now, this is a paid-for thing. This is a Bloomberg thing. So all I'm going to do is read the headline and the bullet points that anybody can find. And this came out June 23rd. Uh, U.S. poised to escalate claim that Mexico violated a free trade pact. Yeah, did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, you know, the number one bullet reflects U.S. concern over state-favoring energy policies. Oh, my God. We're back to this here. Now, we're going to go back in time a little bit. We usually like to try and uh, talk about very recent content on our weekly talks. But Mexico didn't exactly surprise anybody here. I mean, look, guys, there's an Al Jazeera article from December of 2021. Last year, this is before the Ukraine invasion, okay? And it says, Mexico plans to end oil exports in 2023 to reach sufficiency. So, this is the end of 2021 when they say this. to They, they announced this was what they were going to do. Yeah, this is no surprise. This they is no told surprise. us. So, what does that mean? They were planning and are carrying out said plan to reduce crude oil exports in 2022. Right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But now, because of this global energy fiasco, now the U.S. administration wants to try and say that Mexico is violating a free trade agreement. To what effect? It's so their resource. Another energy producer mm-hmm. that's also a border-sharing country with you? At least our administration's consistent, I suppose. <laughs> we started oh, with Canada, God. shut down a pipeline, flip it over to Mexico, tell them they're not doing their part. You guys can't, and what, Tavis, you talked about this before we got on. What is this another sign of countries doing all over the world? What are they doing to their minerals and their energies? They're starting to secure and nationalize their resources. They're sick of countries like the United States waltzing on down, taking what we want and giving them a cut and walking out because they're seeing just how valuable these energy resources is. If the green revolution is really going to take place, it's really surprising to see all of these countries go, well, all right then we want our oil, we want to manage that, we want to manage our lithium, we want to manage our copper and metals, and uh, I can't blame them for it. They've got the tech, they might as well benefit than let the U.S. walk on in. Yeah, at some point, we're going to have to acknowledge that if a lot of countries around the world want to nationalize or deglobalize energy and mineral supplies, 
especially in the aspect of the U.S. dollar payment scheme. Because mm-hmm. that's a payment scheme too, everybody. Okay, It's the adopted one officially, but it's still a scheme. Mm-hmm. The United States is not the top producer of most things in the world. Mm-mm. We were the top. We are still technically the top producer of oil, but you know what? We're also the top consumer, mm-hmm. right? And right now, I do believe we are a net importer again. So basically, look, this is what it boils down to. If you want everybody else to pay with your system, then you better have some real severe production to back that stuff up. And we do have a lot of energy production here, but that isn't trending very well. The only reason it's probably been trending up is because all of those thousands and thousands of ducks that have been brought online in the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. You take those out of the equation and you watch <laughs> U.S. oil production start to roll over and decline. Oh, yeah. In fact, that's kind of rare Petro's internal projection. Unless oil prices go higher and stay up there longer, we just don't see how U.S. oil production is going to continue to march north on trend. Mm-hmm. For a myriad of reasons. Up. The drilling activity looks like oil is more like $70, not 110 Labor shortages. Labor Steel shortages. 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 <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think U.S. oil production, I mean, it's around 12 million and some barrels a day again. You know, it's doing all right. We're still the number one producer, but we consume a lot more than we produce right now. And to the point that we need other countries' energy to help fill the gap. We also, some of the stuff we produce, we're not good at refining it here. So we send it somewhere else to refine and we import other people's crude to refine in the stuff and our refiners that are kitted for that type of crude. So we still need global energy trade, okay? But the only way that we're going to retain any semblance of respect and voice in energy trade and how those dollars and euros, rubles, or however the currencies are exchanging for energy is we have to be able to produce more of our own energy. Mm-hmm. And we have to put policies in effect to realize that. Right now, that doesn't seem to be happening. So, I mean, we have at least another oil company, big oil company exec. You know, I think while we were recording our last show around that day, uh, you know, we talked about the Exxon Mobil sending a letter to the Biden administration. And then, then we have a letter to President Biden from um, Mike Worth, CEO over there at Chevron. Yeah. So, so Tavis, I'll let you summarize that. I don't think we need to... Oh, yeah, it's very similar to the one that we looked at last week where they're basically saying, hey, we're ready to work with you. You have been implementing policies that make this difficult, and uh, we're looking to produce. Here's a quote from the article. American oil and gas supplies are among the most efficient, responsibly produced, and lowest carbon intensity supplies in the world. At roughly 15 kilograms of CO2 equivalent per barrel, Chevron's Permian Basin carbon intensity is some two-thirds lower than the global industry average. U.S. Gulf of Mexico production has carbon intensity just a fraction of the global industry average. Increasing American production will offset barrels produced in other parts of the world that may not support America's energy security, economic competitiveness, or environmental goals. And I think that's a real good way of saying, hey, let's bring this production home. Let's stop consuming Russian oil if we really have a problem with it. And this is, I don't know, you think we're going to see more CEOs writing letters to the administration? Because they met with, I think, uh, was it Granholm last week? But from what I read, not a whole secretary. lot was. Yeah, not a whole the lot was. The secretary there. doesn't know how much oil we use every day. <laughs> that, yeah, that's the one. They met, and of mm-hmm. course, nothing really concrete came out of it. They basically, I guess, made peace, but uh, that's only part of the administration. There's some folks who are still a bit I angry. I don't, I don't know how much you know more 
I don't know how many more letters they're going to get. I mean, the response to uh, <laughs> oh, Biden yeah. being asked about that uh, letter from the Chevron CEO. What? Yeah. Biden calls Chevron CEO mildly sensitive yeah. and tangle with oil executive. I found this on Yahoo News last week, and the full quote is, he's talking about Mike Worth from his letter. He said, quote, he's mildly sensitive, Biden said. I didn't know they'd get their feelings hurt that quickly. Look, we need more refining capacity. The idea that they don't have oil to drill and to bring up is simply not true. So again, oversimplified and also... We need more refining heck? capacity. <laughs> we need more refining capacity. On to the next article then. Oh, we're moving Biden. quick with it. How about, here's a fact <laughs> box for you, you freaking dinglehopper. Reuters. This is a great article. This came out June 17th, but you know what? This is what they kind of did. They went through a punch list of which U.S. refiners have shut down since the pandemic and why. Mm, this this is a really good little punch list, too. It doesn't cover everything, but it covers a good chunk of everything. Oh, the okay. big boys, right? Okay, Biden, we need more refining capacity. Then you please tell me why. We are in a political situation, and this didn't just happen overnight, but it's certainly being continued to be pushed forward. We are in a political situation right now where we have Lindell Bussell Houston capacity, 263,000 barrels per day, said in April of 2022. It would permanently shut down the refinery. The refinery could be converted to make renewable diesel, but it will take years. It will permanently close ahead of the 2023 deadline if not one of the several production units is shut and cannot quickly return to production. So that one's not so, gone yet, but that's a quarter million barrels of capacity that's going to be re-kitted? Yeah. And if it's going to re-kit it, it's going to be for renewable diesel. Well, can we call then it we that? Have, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into that a little bit more. But um, you have refiners that were shut down because of storms. Mm -hmm. Then you have, then you got 161,000 barrels a day um, in Marathon Martinez and Gallup, New, uh, Marathon Martinez in California, 161,000 barrels a day and 27,000 barrels a day in Gallup, New Mexico. Why are they shut down? Because they're converting to produce renewable diesel. They're doing exactly what the presidential administration and U.S. Exactly. policy told them to do. Yes. We have Philip 66 in Rodeo, California, 120,000 barrels a day. Plans to convert crude oil refining into renewable fuels refining from plants mm -hmm. and cooking oils and food waste. We oh. have Holly... Frontier in Cheyenne, Wyoming, 52,000 barrels a day. Holly Frontier Corp said in June of 2020 it would convert its Cheyenne refinery into a renewable diesel plant. So since guys, let me tell you something <laughs> right now. If the Biden administration is so worried about having refining capacity, then tell me why your own EPA's mandates to have more biofuels, and if you can't get them during a global food crisis as they say. You're trying to fill your fuel with food, basically, as a mandate. 
And then you've got all these refiners that are trying to stay in business by what? Doing what do they want them to do? You need to make stuff from renewables. Renewables? How is this stuff renewable? Look, you're living on plants. We've been doing that for thousands of years, guys. But only when we had the Industrial Revolution and machines that could be powered on things like oil mm -hmm. from the ground did we have all of the power needed to plant large-scale modern agriculture and the fertilizers and all these other things that go in the pesticides that help those things grow and keep them from being eaten alive by bugs, mm -hmm. okay? Like, you take out the hydrocarbon industry and you don't have... This stuff isn't renewable anymore. Oh, no. You've got it Just because you can plant it every year... <laughs> doesn't mean that would grow fast enough for you to continue to use it to what? Put in your tank and burn it? Mm -hmm. You're worried about a food shortage right now and you're you're still stuck on renewable fuel mandates? What is what is what do they mean by renewable fuel mandate? Cooking oils, ethanols, food byproducts, foodstuffs, guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or biomass or wood or like there's lots of different ones. There's even, you can get fuel from food waste garbage. They're trying to make that, but it's frustrating to see out of about million barrels I mean, that have I disappeared since all the start. we needed was animal crap and crops, <laughs> then Wouldn't I we have wonder done it? <laughs> why the internal combustion engine and modern mobility waited until Rockefeller started standard oil to start, mm -hmm. you know, really picking up steam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, come on, everybody. Steam, uh... These aren't renewables. Not if you needed them for massive demand for energy mobility. Come on, man. Just because you can plant a crop every year does not mean that it's sustainable to use that mechanism at scale to put fuel in a tank and burn it. Mm -hmm. It's just not. It's and frustrating. So, where do we end up? We'll just end up with this. CNBC <laughs> article. <laughs> Published June 16th. Environmental groups sue Biden to block 3,500 oil and gas drilling permits. And this is what, what a did new you say sale. about the environmental groups? Oh, the environmental groups? Uh, I don't know. What was it? I say a they lot of things like about what? The, what are they like? Oh, they must like expensive energy, expensive I oil. Know. Because the administration says, all right, we're going to finally do some leasing. I mean, permit approvals in Wyoming, New Mexico, Colorado. And these environmental groups come together and go, no, you guys haven't fully considered the full environmental implication of how this will impact our atmosphere. Yeah, while yeah, people yeah. get poorer and poorer due to the rising quickly rising costs and energy yeah yeah we'll just kind of end up with this you know for everybody in our industry and a lot of people take pride in what they do in this industry and they rightfully should you get so mad at all the stupid stuff like what are you doing you know like why are you doing you look here's the thing and i think the oil industry executives 100 years ago knew this and i'm just going to share this with everybody <laughs> Whether you want to run a PR campaign on why hydrocarbons are good for your world or not doesn't change the fact that people are using them. All these environmentalists out there are probably using hydrocarbons to get where they're going. They probably have hydrocarbons in those signs that they're holding. <laughs> they have hydrocarbons on their back of the mm -hmm. shirt they're wearing. Mm -hmm. They have hydrocarbons in the phone that they're clacking away and taking video recording on. 
All of this is powered by electricity, which is likely being powered by coal or natural gas, more likely than not, especially in this country. And so there you go. I mean, look, whether you like them or not doesn't change the fact that you're using them every day. The only question is where are you going to get them from and how are you going to get them? If California is still using as much oil as they did 40 years ago, then I'll tell you right now, that's just what's going to happen. There's too many uses for hydrocarbons. And the most abundant place we can get them from is on, from under the ground. Yep. So, look, you're going to use it anyway. So, if you don't like high energy prices, continue to lie to yourself about where your modern life comes from. But until you're honest with yourself as a society about where your modern life comes from and what's powering it, you will continue to pay higher prices than you need to pay. Mm -hmm. And it's not retribution. It's not getting back at it. It's just what it is. If you want to demonize an industry that you rely on and you're still using it all the time, even though you're demonizing it same time you're using their stuff, then you've got to pay for that. Cognitive dissonance isn't what you said. That's what I said. The fact that these people are at these protests, like you said, saying, we can't do this. We need less oil while completely decked out and uh, essentially supported living because of oil. It's upsetting to see that, well, you think this thing, but you do this thing. Where are we really at? <laughs> but mm -hmm. that's what we do on this segment, folks. Here at Rare Petro, we're putting out plenty of content that works to come up with its own conclusions based on factual evident data. If you really believe anything we've said in this episode is wrong or, I don't know, even damaging to some political climate, we don't care. Anything you want to say, send it to us. We'd love to read it. You can contact us at podcast at rarepetro.com, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And uh, we really like engaging with you and hearing what you folks have to think. So be sure to follow the rest of our content through LinkedIn, this podcast, but I think we've probably gone on long enough. Anthony, you got anything else to say? No, I don't. We'll just wait till the next wacky world. <laughs> oh, it'll be here sooner than we know it. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And until we see you next time, take care. Thanks, Tabs.